Hi, everyone, and welcome to this month's edition of Listen Now, Meaning What's Sister Podcast about music and all the terrible things I love. This month, we're going to be doing a brief little glimpse into K-pop, a music genre that has taken over the world, and maybe let's take a look at why. So, disclaimer, because this is involved in the internet and people have voracious fans on the internet, I am no, by no means an expert on any of this, nor would I really consider myself a fan in the sense of knowing all the things that you need to know to get the passport into the internet fandoms for these things. But I think there's a lot to appreciate about the music and um, fascinating to take a look at how it develops. And as, as you've heard in other episodes during May about how Eastern culture intersects with Western culture and their interactions, I think K-pop is a fascinating Korean expert to take a look at, especially at how it interacts with Western musical tropes. So a brief history into K-pop. Um, the modern version of K-pop uh, started in the 1990s and existed apparently pretty solely as just a subgenre of the Korea South Korean music industry, but uh, as part of a greater movement called the Hallyu or the Korean Wave, it, which is kind of the proliferation of Southern Korean culture throughout the world, especially starting in Asia. K-pop, in the sense that we know it with boy groups and girl groups being big things known by people besides Koreans, kind of began in 2005. Um, this episode is going to focus on girl groups because I'm a queer, and um, yeah, I, th I think that's enough explanation about that. So I think my in a largest sense... My favorite thing about K-pop is how it takes Western music ideas, sometimes does it better, often does it better, um, and just cranks up the ridiculousness um, without shame. And it seems to not, tr well, is not, not always, but it doesn't seem to try too hard or take itself too seriously, which I think is so much more fun when we're talking about pop, how... Pop's kind of magical ability to become surreal and become larger than life is so much more fun when you just let it be fun. Please make pop fun. Please stop making overly serious pop music. Thank you. So the first song we're going to be talking about today is G by Girls' Generation from 2009. And, I, and many people would say this is kind of the song that really allowed... K-pop to come over to stateside. So here's G by Girls' Generation. <laughs> so, I think <laughs> in many ways, this is literally a perfect piece of bubblegum pop. It is just so immaculately well-engineered and like, the writing of the writing and structure are so good. You, you don't even know what it's about. I don't understand Korean. Something about first love, maybe, but it is just such a titanium piece of pop music that it does that magic thing where pop is able to be so so specific and so general at the same time that it appeals to allegedly almost everyone. And it is it is in this quote unquote era of K-pop before it kind of takes more 
Western ideas of aesthetics and sexuality that it is very chaste, um, very shiny. Everyone is very pale and um, <laughs> and everyone has very similar haircuts. Um, but if you think about it and you take a, take a listen to the whole song, it would also work as a Carly Rae Jepsen B-side. So in many ways, it is both reflecting music that existed then, but also indirectly perhaps serving as inspiration for future things to come. And what I love about K-pop is sometimes it just gets so fucking weird, but in approximately the best way possible. So let's explore that on our next example. This is Rum Pum Pum by FX. It's so fucking weird, isn't it? We have this onomatopoeia, which we will find over and over again in K-pop song titles, but also pop song titles. So indebted to that, we have a little drummer boy marching band approximation, but then slide guitar and flamenco and synths. And it is going in um, so many weird directions. And I think not often do you find like Western stateside pop willing to take those kind of weird risks and just owning it. And they do it with such um, utter sincerity and seriousness that you have no choice but to buy it. And I think um, it's fun when you can take a very formulaic structure and formulaic version of music and actually innovate or actually experiment. That is something I highly encourage all music to do. And I guess if I had to say, if anything, I'm uh, that a group that I'm clo- as close to a fan of, I'd say it's FX, who I believe are no longer together, um, just in their ability to take risks and choose genres. Um, I don't know if that's their management, whoever, you know, kind of helmed their music. But this next example is a, a very potent example of following trends and executing them in a way that is improving upon the trends. This is Four Walls by FX. Context, the song is from 2015, kind of after uh, the reemergence of Disclosure from the UK and kind of how they brought back Deep House and UK Garage and all those four-on-the-floor genres of music back to larger prominence. And I think it gives an example of that being done really well and kind of in a timely manner. Everyone was attempting to make a house track at that point. Um, I think this is a better one than most. And uh, the the refrain in the chorus, Love is for Walls, um, is both totally nonsensical, but at the same time, Something kind of very poignant, especially in the the context of this group's career. Um, at this point, their ostensible leader had left the group for a mental health issues, so they were down to a quartet. So there is this subtext of um, the song being reassurance for themselves and their fan base about kind of finding comfort within new contexts and uh, new forms of life for the group. And next, we'll talk about, I guess, an internet favorite group that is kind of more current. Um, 
Luna, and we'll talk about their debut single as a group, High High. This is High High by Luna. Talking about the song first, you'll find in that, that this group has perhaps, out of most K-pop groups, the biggest stamp of approval from those who consider themselves music critics. And a lot of it has to do with their choice in taste making and in their choice in who they surround themselves with. And this track is so much fun in its use of high energy, um, uh, old disco genre, kind of recontextualizing it and bubblegum popifying it to serve their needs. But what I think is most interesting about this group is, okay, very basic primer. I, I'm no expert, but most of these groups are carefully within several major large um, management companies, but Luna themselves are in, I guess, perhaps a smaller management group, and their quote-unquote rollout as a group was rather interesting in that they debuted in quartets and in solo pieces before in kind of debuting together as a group in what felt like <laughs> at least high fluting, if not a high-concept, interesting way to introduce themselves to the world. And you know, a lot of choice of, of people like Grimes to produce their music, showing that, I guess, at this point, K-pop has pr proliferated enough to the West that people from the Western world of music that have hold esteem are interested in interacting and helping to produce the music, which is fascinating and also kind of muddies the waters of what is K-pop, what is K-pop aping? The West, or at this point, is it so in intrinsically tied to the West in, in in who it chooses to pull from? And the last song we'll talk about today is Do 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 Do, Do by Blackpink. Blackpink, if you have been hiding under a rock, is, I guess, the most successful current K-pop group that has made large inroads into the West in terms of success and notoriety. And this song was kind of their real big global breakout in 2016. Again, the use of onomatopoeia, which I think is like that, you know, if you want to kind of very cynically say, like, what is engineered to be the most appealing to everyone and uh, understandable to everyone while choosing noises that um, transcend language and are easily understandable by all are a great choice to um, maximize appeal to all markets. I think what's most interesting about the song is that it's kind of out of date. It's pulling all these like really big trends of like dubstep and heavy music, but in 2016, when dubstep was inevitably dead. So it somehow both feels kind of nostalgic um, and comforting, but also kind of just grandiose, just polished enough to work in uh, the music market today. Perhaps for me, the biggest disconnect with K-pop is it feels like there's a high barrier to entry as a fan. There's a lot to know. There's a lot of content out there. And there's a, a voracious fan base. 
that is um, kind of terrifying to interact with. And this is this is the moment where I feel like I'm 10,000 years old and uh, I'm an ancient citizen of the internet. But again, is it all that different from when we were all obsessed with boy bands and girl groups in the 90s? Probably not. It's just that we have the internet to say every single one of our opinions out loud for everyone to see now. Um, I hope if anything that you took out of this very brief primer of K-pop, because I don't imagine, dear listeners, that you are the ideal target group for K-pop, is that it's a very successful genre and or machine that is so good at kind of extracting or understanding what is popular or what is going to be popular and recontextualizing it in ways that are simultaneously um, really digestible to listen to but also fun and sometimes exciting. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a nice month. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually... Did I stutter?